This is Betty. I'm the witch from the north. And I'm Lancel, the island witch. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to Rosemary, Rosemary by the Bucketful. Bucket So welcome back to another episode of Rosemary by the Bucketful. Today we're going to be discussing mental health and the impacts of witchcraft on our mental health. Okay, so I'm just going to say as a note, if you suffer from mental health, spirituality, practice and the craft, do not replace or substitute Western medicine, conventional therapy or seeking professional help. We are also not professionals, so just take our talk as advice. We will also be mentioning sensitive topics alongside the positive impact of mental health through practice. So if you don't really want to listen to any nasty stuff, I'll be linking the timestamp in the description. So you can always just click off. So first, as an announcement, we have launched our own podcast page. So you can follow us at Rosemary by the Bucketful on IG. So our guest today is Megan Black. Now, if I'm correct, Megan has been practicing for 15 years. Um, She was previously Wiccan. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Now uh, you are currently a secular witch and you follow Irish paganism. That's correct as well, Megan? Yes, that is correct. Perfect. Um, Is there anything else that you would like to mention uh, prior to us getting into the bulk of the discussion? Not really. I mean, I have a lot of experience dealing with mental health and spirituality from my own personal experience. And I just feel like it's a topic that not enough people cover. It's something that I talk about a lot on my own podcast and my own channel. But yeah, I don't think enough people cover it. So I'm really excited to sit down with you guys and talk. Can I also mention that you're gonna be an author soon? (laughs) We can. Um... I am writing a book on shadow work, and it's not meant to be an all-encompassing book that goes into Jungian psychology and all of that. It's more a gentle exposure mixed with exercises and prompts, like a workbook. Um, I was hoping to have it out by January, but it looks like that probably isn't going to happen quite then. So now I'm leaning more towards Imolk and um, the springtime. Can I just say I'm very excited to read your, your book when it's published. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. All right. So let's, uh, let's have Lancel start us off. When I think of the broad term mental health caused directly through practice, I think the first thing that sparks up my mind is either imposter syndrome or being at peace at oneself. So... I'm going to elaborate on imposter syndrome, what it is. So imposter syndrome is a psychological pattern in which our individual doubt about either skills, talents or accomplishments, we create a like persistent internalized fear that we're going to be exposed as frauds. So a lot of us suffer from that. And I think that's why we have this episode. So let's discuss about that. Imposter syndrome is the bane of my existence. And I think it just couples together with my anxiety and, you know, just my mental health in general. I'm always terrified every time I post a new podcast, every time I upload a new video, anytime I tweet something, there's this little part of me in my brain just that just says like, oh, this is going to be it. This is when they're going to they're going to call you out and then you're not going to know what to say and they're going to find out that you're a fraud, even though I know that it's not true there is that part of me that is just 
hard to get over. So I definitely understand the imposter syndrome. I think um, especially us as content creators um, really struggle with that in the occult community because you have so many people um, who have their own experiences and because our practices are so unique to ourselves, um, it can really make us feel vulnerable when we share what um, we do in our practices because it is so personal we feel like maybe somebody else won't relate to what we're saying, but um, I feel like that is something that is very common among content creators in our community. Yeah, I think it's I think it's pretty common too, and I don't think enough people uh, are honest with either themselves or the people that they're talking about either. As a content creator myself, I am always striving to be transparent um, in the way that I present myself and say like, hey, I know zero about this topic, like astrology. I don't know enough about astrology. I know that uh, my sun sign is a Scorpio, but that's basically it. And I am okay to admit that I don't care to know about astrology. And I think that's part of what leads into the imposter syndrome is because I see all these other content creators that are um, spiritual or witchcraft or pagan based, and they have all of this knowledge about astrology and then I think well I'm not a real witch because I don't know all of this stuff but that's entirely not true. Also I'm gonna say that typically imposter syndrome can become really unstable and toxic. This depends on people who have mental health disorders, sometimes it's more prevalent in teenagers so I think if you have a really different style of practice typically it's more ceremonial. Um, You might have a higher level of imposter syndrome. I would think it would be the opposite because, I mean, normally if you are practicing some sort of ceremonial magic, you have very, um, not necessarily strict, but you've got like rules that you follow and there is a process and steps that you go through. Whereas someone like me, who is a secular witch with more of a folk practice, anytime I share something that I do, I'm, I am putting myself out there for people to be like, no, you're wrong. What the heck are you doing? That's not how we do it. But I mean, I guess I can, I don't know. I guess I can see that. I'm trying to like go through the lens of like, let's say you're working with your HGA. I think there's going to be a higher level of imposter syndrome rather than just doing like a spell jar if you're taking the secular approach. Okay, I think I get what you're saying. For me, I think it's entirely personal and uh, circumstantial depending on where you're coming from. Um, in your life, I think will have a great impact on how you feel, especially when you're sharing your personal practice with other people um, and how you relate to other people. So I think it's circumstantial, but that's just my opinion. Yeah, I agree with that. No, it for sure can. And I think your life experience too can definitely play into it because if you're someone who grew up always second guessing yourself because of your experiences or your family, that's definitely going to lead into adulthood where you're constantly second guessing yourself. And even when you know that you know something, you might think that you don't know it because you're constantly second guessing yourself. And I'm trying to break this habit in my own daughter because there will be times when I know she knows the answer to something, but she answers the question with another question to see if she's right, where I'm trying to get her, no, you need to have confidence in yourself and your answers. And I think uh, trying to stave off imposter syndrome for future generations can be helped in childhood. But I think that's a completely different topic. 
<laughs> I, I would agree there. Yeah. And um, that actually kind of brings me into uh, the shadow work aspect of, uh, of our craft, because that is something that is can be very heavy working through all of the things that you've brought with you throughout your childhood to where you currently are in your life now. And I feel like that has a huge impact on your mental health. And especially when you get deep into some of the maybe traumas that you've experienced uh, in your adolescent years um, and working through that and how those, those things impact your current worldview. Um, so I think that that's something that, um, especially new practitioners need to be aware of, um, especially if you're going deep into the shadow work and trying to get your, to know yourself, because that's where my practice comes from. It, it stemmed from getting to know myself and, and creating that deeper sense of awareness um, with myself and with how I interact with my environment. Yeah, I totally agree. Just gonna preface the notes that we talked about in our announcement. Self-help through practice can totally be very beneficial but I'm just gonna say do not substitute shadow work for medicine or a therapist so definitely even if it's scientific based that actually leads me to a question that I wrote down in my notes I've heard a lot of talk uh, in our community especially around mental illnesses and how that can impact our practices and so I think a lot of people might have the question well like if you have a mental illness should it practice or or should you practice or how will it impact your practice? Ooh, somebody asked me that in a live chat one time. I think it's a great conversation to have because especially now um, where we're seeing a lot more people be open about mental illness and we're seeing some of that stigma being broken, um, that it needs to be talked about, especially in relation to your path and your practice. Um, And I think it comes down to self-awareness especially uh but then also having a support system around you um especially as i said previously if you're getting deep into shadow work um shadow work shouldn't be the only thing if you have a mental illness that you're relying on to help you work through some of that or to help you um stay in the right state of mind if that makes sense right yeah no that makes total sense and and i completely agree with you because Shadow work is deep. It's not, it's not necessarily scary for everyone, um, but it can be deep and difficult for people who have experienced trauma or for someone that has a mental illness that really affects them emotionally. It's, I have like a whole section in the book that I'm writing on this topic. Definitely, if you have a mental illness, or even if you don't and you're just concerned because you have some trauma in your past that you really struggle with, um, there's no shame in seeking a therapist and working through shadow work with a therapist. Because the essence of shadow work is psychological. It was created by um, Carl Jung, who was a psychologist. He created the field in psychology of psychoanalysis, I believe is what it was called. Um, And it's not necessarily a widely used field today because there are some esoteric uh, elements to Jung's theory and psychology tries to stay away from the esoteric stuff. But working through shadow work with a therapist can just look like, you know, hey, I have this thing that i want to talk about or that I want to talk through with you and and explore deeper 
your therapist doesn't have to know specifically that you're saying shadow work because it might, I don't know, they might try to stray you away from that. But definitely you want to have a support system, um, even if you don't have a mental illness. Also, when we talk about mental illness or mental health disorders, I think we need to know that it's a spectrum. So if someone suffers from low levels of ADHD or DID or suffer from low levels of anxiety, it's obviously different from schizophrenia or psychosis. Oh, absolutely. Right, yes. And that's kind of what um, I was actually going to mention as well. So that leads me into my point. Thank you, Lancel, is that the type and severity of your mental illness will definitely have an impact on your functionality throughout your everyday life, which also correlates to your ability to practice. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, going back to the original question of if you have a mental illness, can you or should you practice witchcraft? There, there was someone that had brought that up in a live stream that I was doing one time, and they said that someone had told them that they should absolutely not be practicing witchcraft because they have schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. And there's really a lot of gatekeeping, for lack of a better term, that term makes me kind of eh, um, a lot of gatekeeping around witchcraft and magic for those that have mental illness. And I don't think it's anybody else's business um, what someone is practicing. I have uh, mild OCD, PTSD, which is post, post-traumatic stress disorder, major depressive disorder, and generalized anxiety. And I would kick someone that told me that I could not practice and believe in what I believe because of my mental health. It's absolutely asinine. I completely agree. I actually, the funny thing is, is that, you know, I was introduced to my craft at a young age, and then I strayed away from it due to outside influences um, <clears throat> from a family who is highly Christian. And then re-entered the spirituality and occult community uh, as an adult. And one of the things that actually brought me back to it was embarking on a a journey to better my mental health. Um, So entering that aspect of, you know, the new age spirituality community through things like meditation and mindfulness and then getting deeper into it with some of the um, Western Western theologies and medicines that are classified as maybe some of the uh, lighter or uh, lighter sides, and I say that with quotations (laughs) around it, of the occult community. So I think it's very interesting that there is that that stigma or that, um, that thought process of, well, you shouldn't be practicing if you have some sort of mental illness, because I think in some aspects, um, your spirituality or um, your uh, your path can actually help you with your with your mental illnesses or with your just your state of mind in general. There's no definitive yes or no. You shouldn't be practicing or yes if you if you have or suffer from mental illness or mental health disorders. I think your practice, if it's really negatively affecting your day to day life, let's say you have schizophrenia and you're getting panic attacks every time you do a spell or something, I think you should be careful or just limit your practice in that area. I'm not saying that you should stop entirely. 
No, I agree. I think having self-awareness of your uh, of yourself and uh, of your mental illness, if you have a mental illness, um, is extremely important in your practice. Like you said, if you're doing something that um, that has a negative impact on your mental health, obviously you shouldn't continue until you feel like you're you're capable um, without negatively impacting your your state of mind. If that makes sense. Yeah, and it's all about knowing yourself, knowing your triggers, your patterns, and when you're getting into those highs or those lows or whatever your mental health, um, however it manifests itself, I think you should know these things regardless of your mental health, but for someone that does have any sort of disorder or struggles with that, those things are very important in my opinion to not necessarily practice witchcraft, but to practice it in a way that works for you. Because if you get intrusive thoughts, like I have really bad intrusive thoughts, I have to be able to recognize my own patterns of behavior and my own thoughts versus the thoughts that are, you know, just randomly popping into my head because of my mental health versus feelings of intuition and guidance from my gods. So, it's it takes practice and it really takes um a sense of cultivating trust for yourself because that has always been a struggle for me as someone with mental health is learning how to trust myself and what my intuition is telling me versus the outside influences that i also pick up or that just pop into my head Right. And I think, as you said, discerning between the two um, comes with time and practice. So you're not going to be able to hone that skill until you um, have some sort of experience or some sort of, I don't want to say practice continuously, but practice in in being able to um, differentiate between the messages that you're getting from outside sources and from within yourself. And that takes um, going and spending time with yourself and, and spending time with your practice and, and really being able to um, connect on a deeper level. Yeah, and there's exercises and stuff that you can do that can help you connect to your intuition. Um, I think one of the easiest ones that I learned a while ago uh, in some like workshop that I took was to figure out a decision that needs to be made and one that doesn't have a million different choices and sit down with yourself and just sit there and think about the decision that needs to be made and what your options are and whatever your first like gut instinct is then go with that option and obviously this shouldn't be something as crazy as like should I pick myself up and move across the country you know make it a decision like okay I need to decide what to have for dinner tonight do I have tacos or do I have spaghetti and start slow like that and eventually it becomes an intuitive practice by itself and your mind will automatically follow what your intuition is telling you and it'll become easier but you have to actually do the work I like that I like that a lot. it's been very helpful for me (laughs) and I think that that's an important part uh, of your practice or for me personally is is being able to tune in and distinguish between you know, is this my intuition or is this something that I'm doing because I think I should, 
because uh, of an outside influence. And that's something that, I, that I've struggled with uh, throughout my life and throughout my path is being able to recognize when something aligns with my beliefs and, and feels right to me or something that has been influenced from somebody else or from my environment. Yeah, yeah, I totally get that. I also want to talk about, since we're talking about intuition, it is an active thing that psychologists actively speak about, actively recommend either meditation or tarot to people who, who either suffer from ADHD or go to them. Yeah. I agree. Um, meditation has actually been extremely helpful for, for, for my mental health and, and being able to kind of slow down and uh, distinguish between stimuli. Um, I do have, I, I've been diagnosed with ADD, um, which is kind of on the same spectrum as ADHD. Um, and just being able to uh, spend the time to sit and focus on one thing, because <laughs> I, I struggle with distractibility uh, and I do dissociate sometimes as well. So being able to just kind of like sit with myself and take the time to to check in and to connect to those thoughts or just let them go um, versus holding on to them is something that um, meditation is, has been extremely helpful with for me. I suck at meditation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say that too. I suck at meditation. That's why I read tarot instead. I actively read tarot intuitively almost, if not every day. So if you can't realistically sit with yourself for 10 minutes, Quietly, I think tarot is gonna be an actively great source of tuning in with yourself, even if it's just like five minutes. So, since we're also touching on the subject of shadow work, Carl Jung talked about the archetypes. So, when we see when we see the imagery in tarot, we also think about the archetypal energy, mostly in the court cards. So, I think that could definitely touch upon that subject. Um, I just wanted to go back to meditation real quick and say that meditation can be utilized in many different forms. It doesn't have to be the traditional, you know, stereotype when you think of sitting down in quietly for 10 minutes and just doing nothing except for listening to your thoughts. Um, meditation can be in many different forms. You know, going for a walk outside can be med meditative. Um, being creative, like drawing or coloring can also be a form of meditation. So I think adapting it to what suits you is something that um, should be looked at, especially like for me uh, personally, um, there's been many different activities that I would put under the umbrella of meditation and of just connecting with myself. And um, I think that that has been extremely helpful for me. Yeah, I totally agree. We should stop stigmatizing the idea that we need to sit in the lotus position for hours a day, like starving and not eating. Like, most of us can't really do that. Some people take walks instead and just meditate that way. Some people draw, some people listen to music. So yeah, it's adaptable. Yeah, I think my uh, my issue with meditation is being able to sit there and be quiet. Actually, the first problem is being able to sit there in general because I've got some other issues going on physically. But I... I'm okay with guided meditation because it keeps my mind not necessarily distracted, but it keeps it engaged and really gives it that step-by-step, -step, okay, we're going to do this now. Okay, we're going to do this now, you know, instead of just sitting there in quiet where I'm constantly bombarded with thoughts of 
what I need to get done that day or some random thought like, oh, whatever happened to that cat that I had when I was a kid? (laughs) So I think mindfulness is a really good alternative to the meditative practice of just sitting there and being quiet. There was a conversation that Joanna DeVoe had on one of her podcast episodes that I listened to a long time ago. Um, Joanna DeVoe has the show called The Hippie Witch, um, where she talks about doing the dishes. And she uses doing the dishes as a mindfulness exercise where she actively pays attention to the way the dishes feel in her hands, the way the soap feels, the way the water feels, and... um, actively engages that mindfulness part of her brain there and it is uh since it's a mindless task it's difficult to give mindfulness to the mindless if that makes sense so that's a really good exercise in being mindful and then you can bring that to basically anything else that you do i love that example and uh, you actually see it more and more now Um, where it's becoming very mainstream, um, you know, conscious living, intentional living, mindfulness, meditation, like that's become very mainstream. But I think it's, it's underrated. I really do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Because a lot of people just, you know, oh, well, mindfulness, well, I already do that. And they think they do. They think they pay attention and are really present in every moment. But then at the end of the year, you can always tell the people who are mindful versus the people who aren't. Um, because like at the end of the week or the end of the month or whatever, these are the people who say, oh my gosh, where did time go? And I'm totally guilty of this. I do this all the time because, oh my gosh, it's December. Where did my whole year go? You know? <laughs> I think it's like I said. Wasn't it like March a week ago? <laughs> yeah, it's been March all year. It's it's just 2020 has been nothing but March, right? <laughs> and I think I think the reason why it's overlooked is because it's seen as kind of beginner or like fluffy or, you know, doesn't have that bulk of information that you would get if you were to go deeper into like, you know, the esoteric stuff. Um but but I think it being overlooked can have a significant impact on your practice being able to, because when you're doing spell work and stuff, you're accessing altered states of consciousness, right? So when you think, um, a lot of the times, um, in the begin the, what book is it? Psychic witch Matt Oren talks about the altered states of consciousness and how you have to access like, um, theta brainwaves when you're doing, or it's said that, you're accessing theta and delta brainwaves, I believe is what he mentioned when you're doing or when you're connected to that psychic plane or you're doing spell work. And when you're honing a meditation practice and you're being mindful, I find that comes more easily to you. Right. And I think it's important to be mindful, especially during spell work, because not just because of the the different altered states, but when you're doing spell work, you're focusing your intention focusing your energy on executing your will, whatever you want done. If you're not mindful about what it is that you're doing and you're, you know, you lose focus, well, then your energy loses some of its, uh, not, not power. Yeah. Potency. That's a good word because you're not focused. And this is where practicing mindfulness would be an important skill to develop. And I agree, it's definitely a foundational skill that and energy work um, for anybody that is wanting to practice witchcraft. 
I totally agree. I think that practice, actively practicing, I see it as not only mindfulness and intention, but like realistically, who's evoking the Goetia like every day? If you have a job or kids to take care of or schoolwork, if you're not being mindful with practice, you're not going to really actively be practicing in inverted commas. Right. And practicing mindfulness doesn't need to be complicated. If you go to work and you drive a car, there a lot of times we when driving, we get on like autopilot mode and we end up at our destination and we can't remember the drive because we're on autopilot. So you can use your drive in the morning or whenever you're driving somewhere to be mindful of your drive. How does the steering wheel feel in your hand? What do you hear? Turn off the radio because it's just a huge distraction to your mindfulness and listen to what's around you. Who's honking? You know, can you hear any wildlife, any birds? Do you see any people? What do you smell? These are all really easy ways to engage the mindful part of our brain without it being spiritual based or esoteric in any way. It doesn't have to be uh, all woo woo. It doesn't need to be magical for you to practice mindfulness. It can be your drive to work. It can be your walk to school. It can be when you take a shower, be mindful of the water. You know, I think people get caught up in um, either just being busy or wanting it to be a woo woo Instagram aesthetic Uh, experience that they really forget that it's foundational and it doesn't need to be that way. Absolutely. I 100% agree. And it can also help with certain um, mental illnesses, like for example, um, anxiety. Mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Isn't there, there's a practice where you see like five things you can see, four things that you can hear. I forget exactly what it is, but that's basically a practice in mindfulness. It's called grounding, um, and it's separate from what you would think of when you think of grounding as in like after spell work and stuff, but essentially it has the same premise, and it's basically trying to connect you to the physical world, because when you have an anxiety attack, you're almost like having an out-of-body experience. So it's meant to bring you back down to um, your physical body, where you can recognize, you know, um, like you said, touch five things, um, recognize what you can smell, what you can taste, uh, what you can hear, what you see, what you what you're able to touch. Those are meant to bring you back down into your body and be more present in this moment right now. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to talk about balance because I think balance is a huge thing um, that needs to be talked about in um, in respects to your mental health and um, your practice, uh, especially with today. Um, like Megan said, um, where everybody is so connected on Instagram, for example, right? And you're always, we're, we're posting so much about our practices and um, sharing it with the world. And um, beginners, I think, especially have this concept that you always, everything that they do has to be connected to their practice in some way, shape or form. And so having that balance with our mundane life and our magical life, I think is extremely important in maintaining um, a good state of mind. I think I might have maybe like a slightly different opinion there. Um, I don't necessarily think 
that there is a balance between magical and mundane because I'm the type of person that lives, you know, I, I try to live my craft and it's part of who I am and what I do. Um, but that being said, not everything has to have a magical reason or, oh, there's a thing I'm trying to say. Yeah, not everything has to have a magical purpose. And I, I can see how since we're all online and we are all subjected to those Instagram picture perfect practices that we might come to feel that every single part of our day needs to be magical and needs to be picture perfect. I did a ritual bath the other day. Um, as just sort of a, a cleansing process and I had all of my candles set up and I had bubbles in the bath and I was like, oh, this would be a really cute picture. And then I turn around and I see the toys that I took out of the bathtub and the, the dirty bathroom counter and just the clothes that were left on the floor. And I'm like, but that's not realistic. It wouldn't be right of me to post this pretty Instagram-esque picture of my bath when behind me is the reality. Yeah, I totally agree. I think we often say find the magic in the mundane, but some situations like um, trauma, you don't really need to find the meaning in someone slapping you in the face or having an argument with your boss at work. Oh, no, for sure. Like, there can be magic in the mundane, but there doesn't have to be. Right, and I think that's kind of where I was going with, like, like there's absolutely going to be overlap between your mundane and your magical... Um, life. And as you said, a lot of the things that you do throughout your day has some sort of um, connection to your practice because you, you live your practice. And I love that expression, by the way. Um, but, <laughs> but I just meant to say that like the things that you do, like, like spell work, not every day has to be a new spell that you're doing or some sort of, uh, aside from like, you know, if you're uh, worshiping a deity or if you work with a deity, like working with deities or praying to your, your deity and, and those sorts of things, like not everything has to have, um, like you said, uh, a magical purpose or a magical underlay to it. Like it can just be, you know, I'm cleaning my yeah, toilet today. Yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> right? Like there's nothing magical about that. Sometimes cleaning the toilet is just cleaning the toilet because it's got to be done. No, I totally get it. I don't know. Maybe it's like some magical cauldron. <laughs> It's it's my uh, my uh, whatchamacallit to to Hogwarts. Oh, <laughs> right where they. <laughs> yeah, shh, it's a secret. <laughs> oh man, I love that. Um, okay, so I did want to talk about one thing before we wrap it up, but I'm not sure. I think we're going to be wrapping it up soon. But the whole. Uh, medication side of things because there's also a discussion going on now um, where medication can hinder your spirituality or it can be a replacement for medication like spirituality can be and I just um, I think that that's something that we should talk about yeah yeah Um, so can spirituality right right but it is something that is in the community and that I've heard being talked about so can spirituality replace medication I think no. Sometimes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
I think it goes back to the idea of mental health being a spectrum because I have been on medication and practicing spirituality and then I have also been off medication and practicing spirituality and I think it just depends because at those points in my life when I was on medication I needed that medication like it was a matter of life and death I needed the medication I needed to be okay and no amount of spirituality, no amount of spell work, no amount of rose quartz or whatever people were trying to throw at me was going to make me feel better. I'm at a point now where I'm okay without the medication, but I also have a support system behind me to help me recognize those moments when maybe I should get back on medication because there are times when I am not... It comes back to that imposter syndrome for me, and I think a lot of people that have mental illness feel like this. They're like, oh, well, I'm taking the medication, and I'm okay, so I can stop taking it. Or, um, no, I don't need medication. I just need to get over this this hump or whatever. Um, So I think it's it's a spectrum. Sometimes spirituality can be a replacement for medication if the medication is not entirely needed, but I never ever, ever would tell somebody that yes, spirituality can replace your medication no matter what your mental health problems are or no, you shouldn't take medication, period, because it's going to make your spirituality obsolete. I think it's really crappy for people to say um, you can't, you know, you can't do your spirituality because you have to take this medication and that makes you um, quote unquote not a real witch because I've heard that one before. Um, But it goes back to it being a spectrum. And I think knowing your patterns and knowing yourself, but also having a support system to help you recognize your patterns when you can't see them is also important. Absolutely. And I think you said that very well. Um, See, my point of view, um, can spirituality replace medication? Um, When I say no, basically, I think I'm more referring to, um, when you, like when you are struggling with your mental health or if you have, um, a mental illness that requires you to take regular medication and you're looking for something to replace that entirely and you're not able to function without that medication. I think that that's something that like, like you said, where if it's, it's a spectrum and if you're doing, if you're not doing well, and you need medication, there shouldn't be any shame in having to take that medication or any sort of stigma that says if you take this medication, then you're not a real witch or you're going to be less than if you do. Um, Yeah, so I agree with that. And I also think that in in today's society, um, because I've also been both, uh, I've been on medication and been practicing spirituality and currently am off medication um, and doing well with my spiritual practice. So I've been on both sides as well. Um, I also think that there's um, an over-medicating. There's an issue with over-medicating uh, or, or using it as a Band-Aid um, instead of actually getting to the root cause of some mental illnesses um because not everything is is a lifelong mental illness like sometimes depression and anxiety can be circumstantial and they and they can be a symptom of what's going on in your environment or your life currently 
Um, and I think not to say that you should feel shame for taking medication because I've, like I said, I've taken medication when I needed to take medication, but I also think that it's important to realize um, what's creating those symptoms that you're having um, and getting to the root cause of it. And I think that that's also where, you know, developing that practice um, of self-awareness, um, but also uh, of being able to recognize your patterns and recognize what's affecting you. And maybe that, that comes through doing some shadow work and, and realizing your triggers. Yeah, I totally agree. So I'm going to like give a weird example. If you're, if you have a scratch on your leg, you're not going to realistically go to an, to a hospital with an ambulance. Um, your mom might kiss your leg and it's going to be okay. But if someone hurls a stone at your face and you're on the verge of death, you're obviously going to need an ambulance to get to the hospital. So it depends on the case. Also, mm -hmm. with the over-medication thing, I've heard of practitioners being misdiagnosed with psychosis. Um, I know that the medical field isn't perfect, but if we don't have medicine, if we don't have modern medicine, we're still gonna be in like the 1800s dying of dysentery. Modern medicine isn't perfect, but it's better than sticks and rocks in some situations. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I don't ever want anyone to feel ashamed or to feel like they're not a real witch or a real pagan because you have to take medicine to be okay. I struggled with that for a long time because I'm sure you all know those thoughts that creep in, well, why can't I just be normal? Why can't I just be like everyone else? I still have those thoughts, but <laughs> it's like that meme that goes around. Um, if, you, if you don't have your own serotonin whatever, then store-bought is fine, you know? Like, it's okay to get that help and to get the medication or whatever therapeutic practices that you're working through with a physician, with a professional, that's, it's okay. Right. Like, I think it's important um, to recognize and to address the fact that a lot of the times when you have a mental illness, it's a chemical imbalance. Like, we can't deny science. And so for you to try, uh, you can certainly try natural methods of, of um, correcting that hormonal imbalance or that chemical imbalance. But that's one of the reasons why we have medication and why science has created those medications is to help when, you know, those natural methods may not be um, effective enough. Right. Like the whole like, oh, you have depression. Have you tried just going outside and taking a walk? Well, that would be nice, Karen, if I could get out of bed. I mean... You know, like I haven't showered in, in a week because I can't get out of bed because I'm depressed and I need the medication. Like, come on now. Right. right. And it's, it's like the mindset of, well, if you can't fix it yourself, then there's like, you're weak or there's, there's like, you, you know what I mean? Like what I'm trying, I'm trying to say here, I, I have to articulate this. When I first was presented with the aspect of having to take medication for um, my mental illness, I felt like there was, aside from the mental illness, I felt like there was something wrong with me. Like, why couldn't I correct this without medication? Why couldn't, I, you know what I mean? And so there's that stereotype where if you take medication, then you're, you're less than in some. Yeah. 
which is really, really irritating because we don't shame people with cancer for using chemotherapy. Right. And I would never, ever shame anybody else for deciding to have to, uh, uh, deciding to take medication or having to take medication. But when it came to me personally, I had that, um, that thought process. And so for me, it was having to really understand why I viewed it that way for myself and not for anybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally get it. It's part of your shadow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I also want to talk about, mo- it's mostly parents in the spiritual or practitioner community. Crystal healing, um, saying that your child is an indigo child or a crystal child, or saying that it's uh, like your root chakra is unbalanced, I think is very offensive to people who suffer either from depression, instability. Not everything's magical. Sometimes it's mundane. Most of the time it's mundane. Yeah, I couldn't imagine looking at my daughter and her telling me that she doesn't feel good or that she's really sad and she doesn't know why and giving her a crystal to hold and like say, here, hold on to this. It'll make you feel better. I, I could not imagine doing that because I know for myself, like, okay, well, if she's sad and she doesn't know why, she needs support. She doesn't need a crystal. Like, sure, I can give her a crystal, but then also I'm going to give her the support she needs too. Right. And I think that's important to to state as well. Like, it's okay to maybe use those things in conjunction uh, with natural therapy uh, or therapy, not natural therapy, um, and medication. Like, it's not a replacement. And sometimes you can find therapy like cognitive cognitive behavioral therapy that can help without medication but like if you have ADHD you're probably going to need medication and that's okay and you shouldn't feel ashamed because you have to take the medication also I'm not gonna like I'm trying not trying to cut off this topic but what about the positive sides of practice since most of this episode was really hate like about negative sides Um, so for so for me, um, I have experienced um, significant improvements in my mental health since starting on this, since starting on my path. And I'm not going to like sugarcoat it and say that it was always this way or that it was all like flowers and rainbows because it's definitely not been. But through you know working through some of the shadow work and some of the darker aspects, I've been able to come to a deeper understanding of myself and how I function and how I respond with my environment. And so that's actually really improved um, the way that I move throughout my practice and throughout my life and how I interact with other people. So there's, um, I think for me, the greatest benefit or the greatest positive is just a, a better understanding of oneself. That's so awesome. I think mine is a combination of that, but I think the biggest thing for me is that moving through my own practice and the way that I do things has allowed me to deepen my um, understanding of my own intuition and really connect to it in a deeper way. Because before, it was it was difficult for me, but witchcraft and my pagan beliefs require me to be able to trust my intuition to be able to listen to my gut and discern whether or not something is um, an outside influence or if it is my deities showing me a sign or giving me um, like a feeling 
you know, because that's that's mainly how I work through um, or work with my deities. But it's also allowed me to do that shadow work, to not be afraid of deity work, because I come from a Christian background. I went to church. I did, you know, the whole thing. I wasn't Catholic or anything. I didn't do confirmation or any of that. Um, But there was a lot of repressed anger, I guess, and just resentment towards the, the church and my Christian upbringing that for a while I felt disconnected from my my pagan beliefs, basically. And moving through my shadow work and figuring out why has really helped me to let go of the anger and the resentment that I feel there. And I am no longer afraid or wary of praying. Prayer was a big like trigger word for my shadow because it brought up my Christian background, but I have been able to move through that and realize that prayer is universal. Nobody has a monopoly on the word prayer. Nobody has a monopoly on the word faith. And I can claim those words for myself in my own practice because I've moved through my shadow. I love how you said that. Um, I resonate with a lot of uh, your story and the things that you've said. Um, And I think another just going off of what you said, because I have a lot of similarities in my story where I've come from a, a, a strictly Christian background as well, and having to, to work through some of those shadows uh, in my adult life and going through my practice. Um, I also think it's provided a sense of reclaiming my personal power. Because growing up, um, being in that predominantly Christian uh, um environment I was taught to to question myself I always constantly questioned myself I always constantly questioned everything that I was getting and not in a positive way yeah and it's always like a question yourself don't question the authority exactly so really uh reclaiming my power is something that's been extremely beneficial for me um and something that I have uh reconnected with or not reconnected with but I've gained on this path what about you Lancel Okay, so for me as a tarot reader, I actively say I love tarot. Um, it has been a way of me preventing bad or negative actions. Like, if I'm going to get like three of swords in the morning, like, I'm obviously going to act up on that and try and not be really mean or be calm today because, um, or be really like mean to someone because they treated, re- treated me really mean. I think it's been a way of being calm in some situations, taking action in some other situations which I can't really act physically. And I think it's been a way of, I think it's been like a way of expression in a way. I agree. I would say pretty well um, after I left my practice. So I was introduced around the age of like, 12-ish to um, Wicca and I had my the beginning of my practice there and I practiced for probably a couple years before leaving um, because I was essentially told that I was going to hell. Uh (laughs) I think a lot of people will resonate with what you just said. Yeah all of us. Right Um, and so um, I was very much disconnected with um, my creative energy 
um, throughout my teenage years and early adult years. And it wasn't until I actually reconnected with my path that I realized that I had tapped back into that creative aspect, that creative energy. Um, so I really resonate with what um, Lancel just said as well, uh, because I feel like um, connecting with your path can really open up many doors that maybe you didn't realize you closed or that were just closed without your knowledge. It gives you permission to be yourself. Exactly. Yes. It's also a form of empowerment. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Because, um, like, growing up in that Christian background, and I'm not bashing Christianity at all. This is just my experience that I've had. Uh, it was, you know, God was the all-powerful. And for you to have power or try to claim any sort of power was, like, uh the devil's work or blasphemous or you know what I mean so um there's really that different mindset in that in that space versus in um the space that I'm currently in now um where it's more about accepting and owning that and empowering other people on their personal journeys so I really um I really like that aspect yeah so Megan um we usually at the end of our episodes just kind of uh, say a bit of a takeaway and then we'll plug our uh, social media. So did you want to give us your takeaways from today's discussion? Sure. Um, so I guess it basically anybody can practice witchcraft. Your mental health is your own business and don't be afraid to take medication if you need it. Perfect. Yeah. And um, why don't you tell our listeners where they'll, they can find you? Oh, for sure. Um, so the main place that you can find me and my subsequent social media and all of that is my website. It's roundthecauldron.com. Um, I have Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I am Round the Cauldron basically everywhere. Um, and I also have my own podcast, which is Round the Cauldron. And YouTube is the same. Um, I'm holding a giveaway on YouTube because I just recently hit a thousand subscribers there. So if you join me over on YouTube, anytime during the month of December, you have a chance to win one of six awesome prizes. And so I'll give you guys the link if you want to include that in the show notes. Excellent. Thank you so much. And we'll make sure to include all of her stuff in the description box below if you're listening on YouTube or um, on Spotify. Um, so Lancel, let's go over our takeaways and then we can end it off. Okay, so my takeaway from this conversation is that it's going to overlap with Megan's, but whatever. Modern medicine isn't going to replace your spiritual growth. You can actively be a practitioner if you take modern medicine. Don't feel compelled to use rose quartz instead of panazoles. Perfect. Yeah, mine's basically the same thing. Um, just that uh, everybody's path is personal. So self-awareness is extremely important in your path to know when you need to reach out for help if you are not doing well, to know that that's okay and to have that support system so that you're able to do that. Okay, so I'm Betty and you can find me on Instagram and YouTube at The Witch from the North. And I'm Lancel, you can find me at Lancel Island Witch on IG and Lancel D on Twitter, that's the H-E. And we have a new page. Right, so you can find the podcast page on Instagram at Rosemary by the Bucketful Podcast. Perfect. Thank you guys so much for listening. Bye. Bye.